Everybody awake? It's always hard after that lunch. You just kind of, you know, sit a little quiet. <clears throat> All right. Hey, guys. Welcome to Faith and Financial Pastors, Todd and Julie Mullins. Uh, I'm excited to be here. Like, I'm not here because I have to be here. This is the room I would be in uh, just because of the influence I've had, they've had in my life. Um, I'm a church planter. Any other church planters here? Yay! How many of you have faith but no finance? <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, you, you need both to make it happen. And I was in that position about three years ago. I was actually telling Pastor Julie, uh, I had a conversation with them, and that was a catalyst for a lot of different changes we put into practice in our church. And over the last three years, our budget about doubled mm. um, because of some of those initial conversations that God has been able to help us reach. So why don't you just tell them what we told you? Because yeah. I don't remember what we told you, man. That's, that's all they need. Just... So whatever we miss, you yeah, go, you hey, tell them about the, yes, please, because that's what they, okay. they want their budgets to double, don't we all? That's tell it. me, I, See, I want my budget here, to double. Right? Yeah. yeah, that's why they're here. So uh, they're, they're a great couple, lead an amazing church. If you've never done research on Christ Fellowship, I encourage you, go to their conference, like everything you can do uh, to learn from them, I would highly recommend that. So with that... I'm going to turn it over to them. There's a Q&A right. at the end. Yeah. We have until 2.30. All right, guys? Okay. Yeah. Good. So mark questions down as we go because I'm sure you'll, you know, something hopefully pop up here. But like you said, Todd and Julie, we are seventh grade sweethearts. We yeah. met in seventh grade in church youth group. Uh, yes. Puppy love is real to a puppy. That's all I'm saying, right? And we dated on and off all through high school and college. Mostly, mostly off. Which mostly I always, off and on, I right? thought it was so, more on. Yeah. And I'm like confused. No, definitely yeah. not. So we, we dated and, and I stayed committed to Todd. I mean, you're older. I stayed committed to Todd um, my whole freshman year of college when I went away. And when it was time for him to go away to university, we decided to release each other to God's will, right? So I am the girl. That I was, was my idea. And spiritual girl. It was his idea to release each other. But, um, but 18 months in, yep. you know, we got back together. Yeah. We started right in serving um, the church that Todd's mom and dad planted 32 years ago yep. um, in, in South South Florida, Southeast Florida, and we just kind of jumped on board. We met in a elementary school cafetorium, which is part auditorium, part cafeteria. Not sure if that's even a word, but um, But it smelled like a cafeteria. It definitely smelled like a cafeteria. But we were for the first seven years, we grew seventy back down to fifty, up to about sixty, and we didn't have anybody like Ark. We didn't have anybody telling us that. Three-hour services weren't a good idea, right? <laughs> or anybody telling us that you know there was more to children's ministry than what you could pack in the back of your trunk? Yeah. Um, there was no portable church. Yeah. Our big Caprice Classic trunks were our portable church, and we would just kind of haul around church with us yep. all week long. Yep. And, um, but we pretty much did everything wrong um, yep. in those first few years. But God's taught us amazing things on the journey. Yeah. So. When, when it comes to the financial piece of it, we've done it all. Like from you know. <laughs> The capital campaigns with the big thermometer on the on the stage yeah. with the red ribbon, and every week it kind of gets a little higher, and then we don't get to the top, and everybody's got to stay and yeah, we lock the back up. doors, you know, circle up for a prayer meeting until everybody just kind of we got to get that thermometer. We've up, done so. the chicken dinners, we've done it all, and it wasn't until we really began to go. It's got to go from this uh, campaign to culture mm-hmm. if it's really going to take root in our heart and of our house and our church. And so um, the topic that we've been given to discuss with you guys is faith versus finance. And in ministry, um, finances seem to always be an issue. Mm -hmm. If it's starting a church, if it's trying to hire 
a staff member, if it's you know, for the lease on a building or buying a building or advancing your, your vision to buy, start a new, whatever it is, there's always an issue of a finance. And you may think, well, a church like Eastside, you know, look how big this is, or this, your church, pastor so-and-so's church, it's big. A big church just has bigger bills and bigger staff and bigger issues that come up. It's always going to be an issue that you guys, uh, as a leader, we've got to learn how to, to manage. And so this title is, it's faith versus finances. Almost as if there's some words that don't go together. Like mm-hmm. you think about original copy. Mm-hmm. Those words really go together. Or uh, I wrote a few other them down. Just act natural. Mm-hmm. Or silent scream. These words don't go together. Woman driver. They just don't work. <laughs> oh, just kidding. She's a better driver than me. <laughs> And sometimes when you think about faith and finance, it can feel like those two are fighting or competing. Like, are we going to step out in faith and follow God and what he's calling us to do and the vision he's put in our heart? We're going to start that church or start that next campus, or are we going to let the bank account kind of dictate what we can and cannot do? Um, I remember when we finally moved out of the cafetorium into our very first facility, which was an old horse barn that we converted into a church. And literally, we all built it. So we, we dug the footers. We laid the pipe. We, re- we, didn't, we didn't have any money to pay builders to do it. So we, we looked like a bunch of Amish people every Saturday yeah. out there. The women were carrying foods, baskets yep. of food, and we were raising the barn walls. I mean, I'm not lying. And uh, for a year, we didn't take vacations. We all just worked at the church. And we finally got in, and all we could afford were 300 of those you know those uh, stackable chairs that everybody we all have them right ours were green and we could only afford 300 of them so we set them in a room that could seat about 600 but we spread them out like you could make it make it look full remember there's only 70 of us moving into this space so we thought surely 300 chairs that's plenty so i mean you could land a small plane down the center aisle of our church and it was a few months in i'm I'm thinking like maybe about six seven months in those filled up and we're like what are we going to do with this we're full we're done and we've never been a part of a church bigger than 300 people. And this, uh, my dad was walking out one night after a prayer meeting and there's a, a girl in the back row. And she says, pastor, if you buy more chairs, they will come. And so we didn't know if she was being prophetic or just seen field of dreams, but that's all it took. And we ordered, we ordered 300 more chairs. We're like, okay, we're going to fill this thing up with her. No, we didn't have any money. We just spent, everybody had spent everything. Everybody had sold everything they had to get into this bill. I mean, there was no, nothing left. And we bought these chairs with no money in the bank account to pay for them. And normally when you buy those chairs, it takes like, you know, a six, seven months for them to make the chairs and fabricate them and then ship them to you. Except when you don't have any money and they show up in six weeks. Yeah. And I remember the night, it was a Wednesday night service when the truck pulled in and I was like, what truck is that? And they said, it's the church chair truck. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, we don't have money for, and my dad's talking to the treasurer and like, we don't have money. What are we going to do? And he said, we'll send the driver out to get dinner. We're going to have church because it's Wednesday night. Yeah. And then afterwards we're going to load. We'll unload afterwards. Everybody will pray over the chairs. We'll set them all up. It'll be a great thing. He goes, and we'll figure out what we got to sell, you know, mm-hmm. tomorrow to cover that check. So long story short, we're, we're in the middle of the room setting up all the chairs after service. And the treasurer, who's a big guy, comes running in with a check in his hand. Mm-hmm. Now, he had a check in his hand from a Wednesday night offering from all the people that had been there the Sunday before. You know, midweek offerings are not anything to get excited about. He was excited. The, ch- the chairs cost $10,000. The check was for 
ten thousand yeah. dollars. We don't get. We still don't get ten thousand dollar checks <laughs> midweek. Midweek offering. Midweek yeah. offering. Yeah. Ain't nobody bringing it. This one couple, elderly couple, who had given a lot through the whole building process. The Holy Spirit had spoken to them a few weeks before and said that one last retirement account you have, you're to empty it out and bring it. And that day it had come in the mail to them. They went and cast it in, brought their check. to. The, they were just obeying the Lord. We didn't tell them to do it. God told them to do that. Which reminds me, uh, if it's God's will, it's God's bill. Yeah. He's never going to take us someplace that we can't, uh, where he's going to leave us hanging dry. And so... As we jump into this today, it's, it's one thing to step out and buy some chairs without maybe having, uh, knowing how you're going to pay for it. It's another thing to buy a building or step into a big building vision. We're going to do this for our city or for our, the kingdom. And uh, so how do you navigate? The question is, how do you navigate uh, uh, between faith and finance or how do you integrate them? So maybe instead of it being faith versus finance, it really should be faith and finance. It's not an either or, it's, it's a both and. Just as every part of ministry, there's the practical side of ministry, the, the administrative organization, setting vision, setting goal. And then there's the spiritual side of ministry, being led of the Holy Spirit. It takes both rails of that train to get the train yeah. moving from point A to point B. Yeah, but it does sometimes cause a tension, right? Because it seems like, you know, that, that we're constantly managing this tension between our faith dreams and our budget's reality. Yeah. And we still do that today. You know, that we've got big dreams of what we know God's calling us to. And then we have the realities that, that, that are in our bank account. And, and we look at tensions. And some, sometimes we look at that tension as being this opposing force. That Actually, the definition of tension is two opposing forces that cause extension. But what's extension? Extension is growth. Yeah. Extension is, comp- um, is, is, is expansion. Right. And so when you learn how to master this tension um, and, and not go to the extremes, you know, one extreme is that when you're looking at the budget reality, it could actually scare you and, and scare you into a position of, man, we can't move. We've got to get everything secure. We've got to get everything ready so that we can, you know, we, we just need to save and, and, and not spend anything. And, and then over here, you've got the other extreme of, um, of your vision that God has given you. And sometimes, especially when you're just starting out, it's really easy just to take every single opportunity that opens up. You're like, wow, God opened a door, so I must have to step into mm. it. But there's the, those are the two extremes. But when you actually can, can manage and actually master this tension, then that's where expansion and growth personally and as a church will happen. And, and you know, there's a few tools that, that we've learned along the way that have helped us to actually master this tension. And the first one is really the... Um, um, the idea of just the principles that are set forth in scripture. So these are biblical scriptural principles. And that's the first tool that we look at because there's not going to be any scripture that is going to say, you know, there's going to be the answer to your question. Should I buy this building? Yeah. You know, should I step into that opportunity? You wish there were, you wish there were the scripture, you know, yes, but, um, but there's just not. And so what we have learned is when the Bible is silent, that we choose to be wise. Mm-hmm. We choose to be wise and we start looking for the principles of wisdom in scripture. And a couple of things that we've learned along the way in our church budget and personally is that um, is, is to look especially for those principles. What are God's principles on stewardship? Mm-hmm. And you know what we know throughout God's word is that God calls us to give first, right? Give mm-hmm. the first 10% to save next mm-hmm. and then to spend. Right. And so that is one of the principles that we have set forth in our budget process and as a church that we will always we always give 
our first 10%, and that was just the beginning. We, we give our first 10% to admissions and outreach, and we actually are now more at 15%. Some years have been better, you know, but, but we are always going to make sure that we give, and we're faithful to give. We're always going to make sure we're saving, and we'll talk a lot more about that later, and then we're going to make sure that it's after those two things happen, then we're going to um, begin spending. And um, those are some of the principles that stewardship, tithing, wisdom. Yes. So in the principles part of the scripture, mm-hmm. uh, we know that debt leads to bondage. So right. the Bible does teach us that. So the, so Proverbs 22, 7 says of the borrower is a slave to the lender mm-hmm. and God doesn't want his church enslaved. Proverbs 21, the wise store up choice food and olive oil, but the fool gulps theirs down. And we tell people in our church, you know, don't spend everything you have, you know, save, save something up. You don't know what might be coming around the corner. And yet sometimes we as churches, we don't do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like we're not even living, preaching what we're uh, living, what we're preaching here. And so I could go through Proverbs 21, 20 in one version it says stupid people spend their money as fast as they get it. And I wrote down a note to myself, don't be a stupid leader, right? Mm-hmm. So we've got to think differently. Now these principles guide our decisions. Someone said, well, Todd, does that mean you guys never take on debt? No, no, no. We're just letting this be a guide. Um, we're not going to get in our head over debt. We're not going to, there are some projects we've jumped into and we've had to uh, take on some debt. We've had to take on a little bit of short-term debt, but we know it's it's short-term and we're managing that along the way. Yeah. And you know, like you said, this is the, the principle of giving first and then we're going to save. And there's the whole idea that we're always constantly, um, before we spend the money, that we're looking at this next year. Like right now, we're in our budget season for next year and there are you know six of us sitting around the table every single week that are making really tough decisions because we're going before we can spend that, mm-hmm. we we have to determine what we're going to save for yeah. next year. My dad used to think that at the end of the year, mm-hmm. our bank account had to be empty at the church. Like he thought, so we would meet the last few days of the year and go, we got to give it all away. Yeah. Who can we give it to? We just, I mean, it was a party. It was a fun time. But then we'd start January one going, Oh dear God, we had nothing in a hundred bucks in the bank account. We've changed that since then. In fact, we have really drastically cut back on our spending as a church. Um, back uh, in 2008 and nine, when the economy crashed and all, all of us, you know, hunkered down, and spent less. Once the giving, after a couple of years, the giving picked back up, we didn't let our spending pick back up until we had gotten about a 20% above what we were spending. And all of a sudden now, then we started to, to, to and so there was this differential between what was coming in and what we were spending. And it was 20%. Mm-hmm. So we maintained that for several years. So imagine 20% on your budget, being able to go into your savings account. It allowed us Opportunity when it, it, it provided for opportunity, and I always say when opportunity knocks, that's not the time to get ready. Mm-hmm. You got to get ready ahead of time. And so, saving the, the Bible talks a lot about saving up that choice oil. Yeah. And so, as a church, we have made it a um, a practice to save. Now we, we're no longer at twenty percent, but we're saving a good twelve. 13, 14% as we're mapping out the budget. We're going, what can we put into savings? It's not so we can save it and stockpile it so that we're ready when God says, go for it. So the principles from God's word, number one, will help you prepare if you study the principles on how to, to guide you through financial decisions that you have to make. The second thing is prayer. So principles, then prayer. With the foundation of the word of God, the next resource we have is prayer, hearing the voice of God. And we the, heard a great message. On yeah, that we heard that. That was like, oh, amazing. Yes, like I just wanted to go pray. Like, can we not after after today's message? I'm like, can we just stop and pray for like the next hour? But God wants to speak to you. He wants to guide you. And if you are in spiritual leadership in your church, He has to, He has a specific vision and a word yeah. that He wants to to give you. Jesus said, "My sheep know My voice." 
And so as his sheep, we want to hear his voice. As many are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And so when we, um, when we were stepping into leadership, my dad looked at me and said, Todd, what's your vision for the church? And I had always, I've been the executive pastor for like the last 10 years. It wasn't my job to get the vision or the word from God. He goes, well, it is now. And so you've got about, you know, six months until this transition happens, boy, you better go seek the heart of God. And I remember I locked myself in my inner office, uh, not for the whole six months, but it felt like six months. And uh, I had this whiteboard in my inner office. And every time the Holy Spirit would speak to me about something or some place or some ministry, I would just write it on the whiteboard. And so I had all these things on the whiteboard that we were, I felt God was giving me a vision for. And what was beautiful was as I continued praying over this, God just affirmed it in my spirit. And as a, as a senior leader, you've got to have that, that sense of confidence that God is breathing on this and yeah. he's leading you into this so that when you step up, you go, I've heard from the Lord on this. God is guiding us to do this. And so we have the first is the principle of God's word. The second then is prayer so that God can guide us. Through yeah. that. And you know, Todd, all of that didn't come about. Like, even though God gave you that vision, he spoke to your heart. We, the finances really did pace out, you know, when that vision could yeah. happen. And, and, and that's how it's always been. Yeah. You know, we can't, we can't just go ahead and go into debt just because God's given a vision. There's a, there's a pace and a, a wisdom that comes along with that. But I remember too, that, um, several years ago, about 15 years ago, sitting in a prayer meeting on a Saturday night and, um, and we would always pray on Saturday nights before we entered into services. And, and I remember, your mom was sitting, you know, right over here in the sanctuary and she was kneeling on her chair and, and, and she was just weeping. And, and when dad went over to ask her what was wrong, she was just weeping over the scripture in Isaiah that says, seek justice, defend the oppressed and to take up the cause of the fatherless. And they had just come home from a mission trip in Romania where God had stirred their hearts to, um, to, to, to invest in orphanages over there. But when they came home, there was such a crisis in the foster care system here in, there in South Florida that we knew that there was something we needed to do because we've always known that we weren't just called to pastor a church. We were called to pastor a region. Yeah. And so the children yeah. that were being oppressed in our own region were being overlooked. And it was the church's job yeah. to step in and do something about it. But there was nothing going on, you know, in the Christian world at the time. And, and so that night, dad stood up in front of the prayer meeting and said, we are going to launch a children's home. Now, we had no idea what that meant. We didn't know what was going to happen. Todd was the executive pastor at the time. Notes. So he's like, taking notes. We are going to launch the children's home. That's how a vision came down at that point, <laughs> at that point in the history of our church. But, you know, we had just stepped into building a, a built. We'd outgrown first, the building we were in, and we stepped into our first um, larger project, building out 40 acres across the street. And so and it, it didn't seem like the right time, but we knew it was a burning vision that God had put on the hearts of, um, of our senior leaders. And so we knew that we needed to be all in. It was, it's amazing that it started out, you know, we, we, we were going to plant the seed. We were going to start small. And yes, God had given a vision for all the children of the region, but we started small. We started with one home called the Place of Hope. And we took in eight kids and si- bringing sibling groups back together. And 15 years later, we have 350 kids in our care right now, today, um, in, in our facilities. We have three different campuses. Um, there have been over 11,000 children who have come through our care over these last several years. And to see just stories of redemption and hope, we're it's, now a... It's, re, uh, re, it's rewriting mm-hmm. for the whole state of Florida how foster care is mm-hmm. being done and orchestrated. And even mm-hmm. as kids age out, yeah. we have a whole thing called Village of Hope where when they age out, mm-hmm. they're 18 and they're yeah. kicked out. Like, they're not allowed to stay. And I'm like, mm-hmm. we're like, that's wrong. 
I mean, yeah. the, I needed my parents longer than age 18, eh? And so we actually have all these homes set up, help them finish school, help them get a job, help them go to college. Mm-hmm. And then we started a home for pregnant teenagers, yes. um, mm-hmm. some as young as uh, 12 that have come to us mm-hmm. pregnant in the yeah. system, no place to go. Now mm-hmm. we have a whole home mm-hmm. where they get to... Uh, go through the pregnancy and then live after they have mm-hmm. the baby. And we've had girls who've been rescued from human trafficking that we have aftercare programs for. And our church, um, the, the church in partnership with Place of Hope, opened up a, a license adoption licensing um, entity. And so we placed, you know, just hundreds of children into forever families. And yeah. it all started, though. It all in started prayer. in a prayer meeting yeah. on a, you know, on a Saturday night. That vision was birthed, and now it is just it is transforming. Yep. You know, not only just South Florida. Florida, but all across the state of Florida, yeah. so, just because to God's glory, it's God's yeah. glory. Yeah. Just the seed that was planted, though it started small, and God yeah. grew it. Yeah. And by the way, if anybody has questions about that, mm-hmm. we have they have structured place of hope mm-hmm. so that any church in America that goes, man, I love that vision, mm-hmm. can actually come and uh, w- walk through the, the planning of that to start with just one home, one yeah. little foster mm-hmm. care. You can rent a home, you can lease a home, and hire two parents, and you're done. You can get yeah. that thing going right there. Anyway, okay, people, I'm sorry. Can we stop for a minute? Yes. Can we just cheer for a minute because I'm hearing the room next door, yeah. and I'm starting to get a temp into the. more fun. Can yeah. I go over there? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And we want you guys to want to be here. Principles, prayer, people. Oh. <laughs> I'm also like, we got to, we love Jesus. Yeah. Yes. No. Okay. Um, so the third one is people. You got to have the right people around you when you're making these decisions. Uh, again, this echoes some things we heard this morning. Yeah. You've got to have the right people to bounce it off of the right counsel. Um, uh, I wrote this verse down, Proverbs fifteen twenty two, that you know, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Mm-hmm. And so you've got to have the many advisors. And so I have mentor, we have mentors uh, that help guide us in these decisions. My dad is one of our, still one of our mentors mm-hmm. when it comes to these financial decisions. Uh, but I guess if I were to jump to the first place, um, it is uh, a DLT, which yeah. is our directional leadership team. These are the men and women that are leading the church with us. And it is more than just an organization administrative responsibility they know it is a spiritual responsibility mm-hmm. they have to lead the church and so um, they're giving they're giving oversight to all the ministries of the church they need to have insight into the yeah. finances mm-hmm. so they can help us make the right decisions and uh, I we used to not include them in these decisions it used to be like me and dad and and the CFO guy and just one or two mm-hmm. or three or four of us making these decisions but then they had to then work it out and so I'd, I'd be all like we're gonna buy a building yeah. but then I had no idea that they then had to figure out how to maintain the building and hire the staff to run the building and all the, I wasn't thinking of that. I was just going to raise the money to buy the building, right? And so bringing them along in the process helps us make better decisions today. And so, um, uh, for instance, like I have the gift of faith. So I'm like, I can believe God for about anything. Like mm-hmm. right now, um, and who was it? Uh, the girl that, that preached in this last session about your dreams. Mm-hmm. What's her name? April. No, Lindsay. Lindsay. Uh, anyway. Okay. Yeah. We know Lindsay. Mm-hmm. Great message. She talked about dreams that die. I had a dream that had started to die on the inside of me, and that woke that back up mm-hmm. in me. I've been praying. We've been praying for a 5,000-seat auditorium in our region to be gifted to us, mm-hmm. all right? It's barely being used right now. And I'm like, Lord, God, you can take it out of the hands of Jehovah's mm-hmm. Witness, and you can give it to us in Jesus' name. Yeah. So I'm believing. Now, yeah. I have I have this gift of faith, but I've got this guy on my team uh, that's Dave. He's our, like over our business. and He has the gift of organization and administration, <laughs> and, and, and at times it feels 
feels like, wah, wah, wah. like he comes in with a, well, the reason we can't do it. I'm like, dude, you can't do that right now. I am dreaming some big dreams for God. Right. But what I've learned is, um, we actually don't, we're not, we're, we don't battle each other. We actually balance each other. Mm-hmm. So if I see this as a balance instead of a battle, mm-hmm. it's not a wrestling match. It's like his wisdom and perspective I need. Yeah. And so we get that on our senior yeah. leadership I, team. And I would say if you're like the finance guy on your team, and, and this is something I've had to learn too, as Todd has, you said he wasn't a visionary leader. Now we're all like, oh, you know, that, that is not his problem anymore, right? So he's got so much vision and um, and we just want to be able to, you know, to, to really reinforce that and, and run alongside that. Um, but, but one thing that Dave has learned that he has done so well is now he comes to Todd and he says, yes, we can do that, but I want to show you what this is going to cost. Yes, we can do that, but I want to just tell you what everything, what this is going to mean, going to mean with the rest, rest of the budget or for the rest of the change so our relationship. It changed everything, you know, that he could say yes first. He could lead with the yes. But, you know, um, we're talking about really going from having a giving campaign to a culture of generosity, yeah. right? Because we, we had lots of giving campaigns, but until you can build the culture of generosity, and that's why we decided we've got to bring everyone People. we can, not just on the faith journey, but also on the financial journey. Yes. Because that is what's going to be able to, um, to, to be able to resource the vision. And so we not only with directional leadership team, but we also have gone to our staff team. And our, our staff team and our volunteer leaders that are leading in our ministries at the church. And what we tell them is that, you know, is, is that we do, we, we have this tension to manage because we are stewards, right? We stewards God's presence every single weekend. We get to, we get to be the body of Christ to steward his presence in our weekend worship and, and everything that we do. Um, we steward God's resources, but we need to own the vision and own the value, own yeah. the vision of reaching our region for Jesus Christ. right this isn't just about raising money to build buildings people come to us and they'll say we've never been to a church as big as yours before and we're like well neither have we you know because it actually just keeps growing and and you know they'll say well how many people how big is big enough and we're like the number that come to the doors every single week are not the numbers that 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 impress us the number that is impressed on our hearts are the 1.4 million people who are not going to walk through the doors of the church and so when we talk to our staff and our leaders we're like we need you to own this vision with us you know And we need you to own the value of generosity along with us. And so we, we really, um, in, we have a staff meeting every single week. We meet with our leaders quarterly and, and we tell them, you know, we expect you to lead in every single area. Yep. We expect you to be leaders of integrity, to lead in the, in the area of ministry that you're, you're responsible for. But we also expect you to be giving leaders. Yes. We expect you that, you, if, that you're going to own the vision and own the value that we are going to be a generous church church because we serve a generous God. And so as the team, we expect that you are going to be leaders in every area and leaders as in the financial giving. That's why when we have special offerings and heart for the house or, you know, whatever's, whatever's kind of coming up on the horizon, we did financial peace university as a church. We took our whole staff and all of our leaders through it first. We asked for our staff and our leaders to give first. So we go to the church on the weekend. We're like our staff and our leaders have given this. And so we're, you know, we're this far down the field. And so, um, so we, we expect that we also tell our staff when they come on our team, you know, that, that we're committed to you and we are going to make sure we are going to check in on your family to make sure that your kids are doing okay and that your marriage is okay. We're going to check in on your soul because mm-hmm. we want you to, to, to be able to go the distance mm-hmm. in ministry. We're going to check in to make sure you have everything you need, you know, to be able to do ministry well, but we're also going to check in on whether or not you're giving and tithing because this is all 
part of what God has for you. This isn't what God wants from you. Your tithe is not going to determine whether or not we're going to build the next building or launch the next dream center. But this is about all that God has for you and we care for you. So we're, we're inviting you on the journey. We're inviting you to own the vision with Mm -hmm. us, but we're going to, just like we're going to check in on all these other areas, you know, we just want you to know, like we, we go over this kind of in the onboarding process that, that we're going to check in on this too. So don't be surprised six months down the road, if your leader comes to you and, and, you know, and is checking in on your giving because we want all that God has for you. So that's, we didn't get there. We weren't always that way. We really had to uh, reconstitute the way the staff Mm -hmm. saw giving Mm -hmm. because we realized we weren't going to have a generous church if we didn't have a generous staff. Right. Like if they were takers and not giving, they were not givers by Mm -hmm. nature. So we had to uh, really, we start inside out. You know, we started with the team Mm -hmm. and we spent months training our team on Mm -hmm. the spirit of generosity and the culture of giving and loving to give. And Mm -hmm. one of our core values is we live to give uh, because we, we understand this life is passing. So we're going to steward it for eternity. And um, so we had to, but it took time building it up. But now we know our leaders can't take people, can't take people places that they haven't been. Right. And that goes, you know, in every area of ministry, spiritually, and, if, and if, also and generosity. If you haven't taught it to the, your staff mm-hmm. uh, and the team there, then when uh, something comes up that's another giving opportunity or giving challenge mm-hmm. or something, they're not going to resound with what you're saying from the platform, what the mm-hmm. senior pastor's saying. It's going to be slightly off. It's going to be, why are we teaching on this again? Then they're going to go, yeah, I don't know why. It feels like we're always talking about giving. They're going to mimic what the congregation questions. Mm-hmm. But if you invest in them and help them get to where they need to go, then when you're casting vision for something, they're like, yeah, because the number that impresses us is the 1.4 million. And they're going to, they're going to parrot what you say because they have the heart behind it. So spend that time on the staff. And that's our staff. And it's also our volunteer leaders. So we really always make sure our, our dream team and the the leaders of those dream teams, we gather with them quarterly and really make sure we invest that in them. And then the next area that we knew we needed to bring people along is um, just three years ago. A lot of churches do this, but we just actually started this. We were late to the game on um, um, starting kingdom builders. And so our kingdom builders are, you know, our people that have the gift of giving and how we decided to do it. People do it different ways. And we had always invested, you know, we'd always invested in our, our giving leaders. You know, we built relationships with them. We would take them out to dinner um, and we would just honor them for their gift of giving and really valued their partnership. Um, but there wasn't an intentional systematic way that we did that. And so we started our kingdom builders. And for us, our kingdom builders are for anyone in the church that would um, that would commit to give to above the tithe. So tithing is the baseline. So if you can give above the tithe, we invite you to be kingdom builders because we want the single mom who has the gift of giving but may not have much to give to be as much a part of our kingdom builders as maybe the person who is the millionaire and is able to give out of the excess. And right. so, so we actually open that up and several times a year we get our kingdom builders together mm-hmm. and it's really not for a time to ask for anything, but it's really a time to invest into them. Um, we'll bring in a special speaker. We'll spend time with them mm-hmm. and just really hang out with them um, and just honor them for their gift of giving. And we also tell our kingdom builders that um, that God has given us a great vision, but we want you to know, kingdom builders, that your giving will determine the pace of, of the, the vision. vision. 
Your giving will determine the pace of the vision. Because we, you know, for us to be able to do what we're doing, to grow the campuses we're growing and, um, and to do ministry the way that we do ministry and to reach the people at the campuses that we already have, um, that, that is the church's general giving. That's what helps us to do that. But for us to be able to launch that new dream center in the neighborhood that, that you guys drive through on your way to church every single time you come, or for us to be able to launch more after-school programs, or for us to launch a new campus in a new region that we're going to make sure that um, that we want you, you know, that you're going to be the ones that are going to help us to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's not showing favoritism. Oh, no. It's really speaking to their gift of giving, yeah. which if you read Romans 12, 6 through 8, you see that there's one of them is the gift of giving. And so it's not uh, just as you would gather people that have the gift of music or the gift of mm-hmm. hospitality or the gift of this, and you want to build them up in their gifts. So we felt like, man, we're not doing anything to really build mm-hmm. these men and women up in their gift. And so that's been the intentional focus of Kingdom Builders. We'll answer more questions about that if you have that at the end. Um, but then the last area of this, remember we're talking about people, um, is is the church. And this was huge because we had done capital campaigns. And anytime we talked about stewardship, it seemed to be around asking for a pledge card or money or a special offering. And I'm like, oh, dear God, we've been doing this wrong for so many years. How do we back this train up and really begin to teach them about that all of it belongs to God and we're just stewards of of the whole of it. And most people, um, they're messed up in the whole of it. They're not messed mm-hmm. up just with the, the tithe. They're messed up in the, everything's messed up. In fact, like um, 70, 80% of people have, have a lot of debt, but there's 70% of people in your church and in my church that have so much debt right now mm-hmm. that it wakes them up in, in the middle of the night. They're worried about this. They're not sure what's going to happen. They could lose their house. 70%, seven out of 10 <laughs> of our people are struggling that much. So when I talk to about tithing or giving or I'm just putting a guilt trip on them on something they can't do. They, yep. they can't, they're, they're so upside down. They're spending 110% of their income. I mean, they should do a seminar on how to, how to live off 110%. I mean, they're just messed <laughs> yeah. up. And so someone's got to help them. And so we realized we had gotten the, the, the cart before the horse. And so a couple years back, we stopped everything and we took our whole church through Financial Peace University, Dave Ramsey's thing. One of the best things we did it had nothing to do with anybody giving one more dollar to the church, and they knew it because of the way it was all structured. Um, we got 10,000 people for nine weeks to meet and go through uh, Financial Peace University. It was amazing. And the freedom it brought to, to husbands and wives that used to fight about money and fight about debt. Now there's freedom in this. And now their, their house is paid off, their debt's paid off. And now they're like, God, what do you want us to do? We're praying about something that we used to fight about. It brought freedom and life to them. And I could tell more stories about that. But it was really we also, important. We also brought our students through it. Yep. You know, we were very intentional about making sure that we brought our middle school and high school students through it also so that they could kind of get on board too and recognize that, hey, when mom and dad aren't willing to go upside down, you know, um, when you're getting ready to go off to college There's a and, and isn't going to, aren't going to co-sign for those loans for you. It's not because they're trying to keep something from you. It's because of something better they want for yeah. you. So. And so we've spent a lot uh, every year I'll do a stewardship ministry, uh, sermon four weeks or so and we'll but we'll do it in a life-giving way that always calls people's vision up to be a part of the big thing that's God doing a couple of the things we do to help uh, raise money and raise awareness of this um, two two special offerings we take in the year one is called our Christ birthday offering and we started this years and years ago um, we remind everybody hey it's Jesus's birthday you know don't forget about Jesus on his birthday that's what Christmas is celebrating here it's not Julie's birthday it's Jesus's birthday so don't you think Jesus should 
get more than Julie. Just a thought. So we actually take an offering and 100% of it goes to missions and outreach and different things that we're doing as a church. It's a great time of the year to be able to celebrate with your people what they're going to do with this special offering. When we started it years ago, it was very unintentional. It was like an idea. And I think the first offering was around $100,000, which is pretty significant. The next year, we were a little more intentional and got it up to about a quarter million dollars. By the third year, I'm like, I think we could do better if we actually got intentional. So now... Um, we actually shoot some videos of, of the work that the Christ birthday offering lets us do as a church. We've come up with, uh, cr- these are two of the more recent years of uh, Christ birthday offering magazines that we pass out at the end of November. And we have copies of these if you all want to take it and uh, borrow any ideas out of it. And then we, we, uh, we celebrate what they're doing and we tell the stories and we let them know, man, it's, uh, it's up to you that we keep doing these things. And so we cast vision for it. We tell stories for it. And then we take an offering for it. And they know that every dollar is going to go to these things. Um, what is awesome is your people that come on Christmas Eve that only come on Christmas Eve. We call them CEOs, mm-hmm. Christmas Easter only. So that's the only time they show up, right? And uh, But they hear that this offering is not going to keep the lights on or pay for the pastor's salary. This offering is going for this. They give. Right. And we've had significant gifts dropped in the offering at Christmas because of that. So this is one area that has helped us expand our mission giving um, by, by doing this and getting more people involved. The other offering that we just started... To, I think there's a little baby in the back of our bottle. Okay. Um, uh, the, the, the other thing that we just started, and many, many churches, you know, have a heart for the house offering. And we just started this. So, again, we're kind of late to the game. And we would love to answer any questions for you that, like, if you're like, yeah, we've heard of that, but how, do you, how did you start it? So we preached a couple uh, weekend messages on God's heart for his house. And what God does in his house that doesn't happen anywhere else, but it happens in the house of God. And vision for strengthening the house. So where this offering goes out to the world, this is about strengthening the house and moving the mission of God forward. And so we just tell stories about and dreams of what we want to do. Vision. This is like a vision booklet. And so it comes out kind of like on vision weekend. And then about four weeks later, we take our heart for the heart for the house offering. And so we, again, had not ever done this. I didn't know if it was going to work. And two years ago, we took our first Heart for the House offering. Six million dollars came in mm-hmm. for our heart. I know, right? Yeah. I was like, I, I was hoping yeah. for, I, I don't know what I was hoping for, but God exceeded it. And this year was the second offering, and it exceeded that. It went mm-hmm. close to $7 million. But it wasn't until we actually put it in form and fr- mm-hmm. cast vision, because we all cast vision. If you're leader pastors, you cast vision. But when we took the vision and we actually put some handles on it mm-hmm. with dates and times and cost that people could see, and they went, I want to be a part of that. And there was a set time to take this offering that I could give to that. Mm -hmm. And it was above my regular giving. I'm going to be a part of that. Mm -hmm. And we've seen that this has really helped us as a church in the last few years move forward. Okay. We got to move on because we're almost uh, done. Um, So we said that, uh, what what are you doing so far? We're giving you uh, principles from God's word, prayer, having the right people around you. Which is everybody. I could talk to you about the elder board. I forgot. We're under, we have the authority of elder board that we're under, mm-hmm. praise about every big decision. So we do not, um, big de- they don't manage, but they pray and we pray and fast. So before we bought a Dillard store in a mall, um, uh, I, God had already given me the word in the parking lot that we were to buy it, even though our lawyer and everybody said, this is bad, bad economy, bad timing, shouldn't do it. Worst part of town, mall's not doing well. It's, it's going to be awful. I drove through the parking lot praying after about the third time the Holy Spirit said, I'm with you on this. So I couldn't play that card, couldn't play the God card. So I went to the elders and said, guys, we've got to pray and fast because I really believe this could be something God has for us. But we have mutual 
uh, submission to one another, which means they understand the pastoral, we're pastoral driven mm-hmm. with vision and leadership, but I'm under their spiritual covering. And so what we do is we fast and pray for a week and we listen to what the Holy Spirit says. And if anybody has a hesitation, we slow it down. Mm-hmm. So it's only unanimous. We know God's doing this. So we ended up buying the Dillard store today. Mm-hmm. We have 4,000 people meeting in that one campus mm-hmm. down there in the middle of a mall. It's amazing. I can tell you more stories, but that's, that goes to the people. The last one is perspective. Mm-hmm. So pers- notice how they're all peace. P- perspective. You got to know where you are. You got to know where you've been and you got to know where you're going. Mm-hmm. That's what perspective is. You've got to have an understanding. You've got to know where you are before you can get to where you want to go. You got to know where you are. We were at an outlet mall the other day and we did not know where we were. And so we had to go find one of those maps that says you are here. And then we knew there was this one restaurant we were trying to get to, but we could never get to that restaurant if we did not know where we were. You've got to know mm-hmm. uh, where you are. You got to know where here is so you can get there. So right. before you can ever get there and I want to be this church this ah, you know, has this and like Chris Hodges only spends 90, whatever. I, you're, you got to know where you are today. Clear picture of how much is coming in and where is it going out and how is it going out and is it going out the way you want it to go out? Most people do not, most people do not have a clear understanding of where they are financially and most churches do not have a real understanding. We like, you know, especially if you're like faith, like, oh, it's good, we're good. God's going to cattle on a thousand hills. Oh, he owns it all. And, but he wants you to know what you've got, you know, so we're talking about faith, not blind faith. Um, Bible says watch and pray. So you're going to pray in faith, but you're watching what's going on. So having a budget, having an understanding, um, uh, and you never outgrow this. Like we were on the plane here working on budget things on the way here. So it's not like once you get to a certain place, you don't need to keep tabs on it and focus. No, you need to focus on it even more. And so we were, we were looking at every little thing and just analyzing that stuff. You got to know how much debt you have. You need to know, um, uh, what it costs for properties to run. You got to understand, you got to understand where you are so you can get where you want to go. Yeah. And I think also that goes back to also understanding where your people are too. Like that, that again, this bringing your people along. Um, I think the point is about all the people is that you need to bring everyone along because it's not just our job to steward the finances of the church and to be good stewards, but it is actually a call as part of our discipleship. Stewardship really is discipleship, helping manage every area of our lives. And so, you know, knowing where your people are. And what we found was that we had people that, and it breaks our hearts now to think about this, but we had people that were tithing every week on their credit card. And so, and they were going further and further into debt and they were just trying to be obedient, right? Yeah. And so really knowing where your, where your people are, knowing, um, knowing how the, the difficulty that they're going through financially, so many of them, and, and making sure that you speak to that need. Yeah. yeah. So know where you are. Uh, know where you've been. And when I write this down, I mean like know what your giving history has been. Know what the rhythm of giving has been. Know, know like when you've given certain challenges, mm-hmm. how has it worked? Mm-hmm. And why did it work or why didn't it work? Have a good understanding of the history of your people's commitment. When you've challenged them, when the church has challenged them in the past to give for a building or challenged them in the past to give for vision, when it worked, when it didn't work, why did it Analyze that stuff. So we like, we critique that to know that we know it's up to the spirit of God to move on people's hearts to give and we don't want to manipulate, but I want to know if I'm doing something wrong. I want to know if the vision wasn't clear. I want to know if the approach was too hands-on or, or too, too much pressure. So yeah. you've got to understand that. And one of the things that came out for us when I asked where we had been is I realized we had not taught on stewardship. So that's what drove us back to, to that thing. And the last thing is I know where you're going. Um, do you have a vision for the financial future of your church? Mm-hmm. Do you know what you want it financially 
to look like. Yeah, I just want more. That's what I want. I want enough. Well, why don't we put some handles on what that actually means? I have a very clear vision of what I want. I want to do what Chris Hodges does. I want to do where you budget the next year based on 90% of this year's giving. Wouldn't that be beautiful? We're not quite there yet. Now, you could, I've talked about, well, I could probably, we're saving 15%. That's probably, but I, I want to do it his way. And, and we're still a little few years away from getting there, but our team's working to get there. Because what that means is even if the giving stays the same, I've already saved 10%. And anything above that, man, that's 10% plus 7 or 10%, right? So flipping it that way, and it guides what the team has been. So um, I would just, I would encourage you to know where you want to go. We mentioned earlier that back in 2010, when, when the giving started to tick up and we didn't spend our, we didn't increase our spending until they got quite a bit up, it created this thing called margin. And yeah. margin is a beautiful thing. Yeah. Sometimes we don't realize how beautiful margin is. Yeah. yeah, and for us on our team, like like I said, we're in budget season right now. We had to really develop a really strong conviction around margin. Like this isn't just, you know, a good idea. This is something we have to have a strong conviction as a team because we go in and everybody's talking about what their different ministries need. We all have to have a shared conviction about margin. And this was the deal about margin because a lot of times we look at margin as like extra or excess and, you know, and it's really easy when you get in that room, you know, and children's ministry needs this and, you know, um, special needs ministry needs this. And, and it's so easy to start dipping into that margin, that what we have chosen to save for the future. But this is what we know about margin. There's a few things that margin does, and this is this is what we kind of frame our conviction around, is that, first of all, you know, we know that margin can help divert a crisis. Yeah. When you have margin, it helps divert a crisis. We live in South Florida. A couple of years ago, in, um, in two summers, we were hit with three hurricanes, which meant that we had three weekends in, um, in three weekends in one year, two weekends in one year, one in the other, where we did not have an offering that week and and you know except for the people we that are getting online, online at the yeah time. we hadn't so gotten like, really great at it yet we're better now but we didn't have the offerings that we were dependent on so so that's for two weekends in a row for our church not to have an offering that's a big deal but because we had margin it was not a crisis it was a big deal but it was not a crisis the church was not hurt we did not skip a beat the light stayed on everybody mm-hmm. got paid the next mm-hmm. week because we had margin and the second thing is is that that opportunity lives in the margin. Yeah, it does. Opportunity lives in the margin. The only way that we're going to be able to have, to take the opportunities that are set before us is if we have that. Several years ago, a church came to us. They were closing their doors. They came in a spot that we knew we wanted to plant a campus. This was many years ago. And they came to us and they said, you know, hey, we want to, you know, we would love for you to be able to take this over. It was a certain amount of money. And we didn't have it. And we had to walk away from it. And Todd said, Never again. We will never miss. We missed it. We missed that opportunity. We missed to be able to plant a life-giving campus in that region because we weren't ready. We didn't have margin. And the last thing is, and this is what really gets us, is that there are lost people waiting for us in the margin. There's lost people waiting for us in the margin. If we have the margin to be able to go when God says to go, to step into the opportunity when the time is right, there's lost people that are waiting for us there. And so even in budget conversations, they're deeply spiritually convicting conversations because we so want to dip into that 
But if we don't, if, if we dip into it, we're going to miss opportunities. We're going to we're going to have crises because there will always be a crisis waiting for us. And then and we're also going to miss the lost people that God's called us to. That's true. Let me yeah. let me emphasize that with this closing story, and then we'll answer some questions. Um, uh, I told you we went. I went through that season of prayer and fasting with my whiteboard in my room, and one of the names of cities that God dropped in my heart was Port St. Lucie, which is a city about an hour to the north of us, and. Um, uh, they had gone through uh, economy had crashed and this big building that had been built, beautiful building um, that like floating concrete staircases two story concrete walls, push buttons glass walls would frost over I mean it was like that kind of quality was built for our, this... building, our other buildings don't look like no, this no, yeah. no, no. remember the barn? Okay, so this was a different level <laughs> and, um, and so this had been built for a, a this company called Digital Domain which was like Pixar's competition right? Mm-hmm. So they were they were, they were animated, whatever. Uh, the company got into this, so the, the city built this building for them to woo this company to Port St. Lucie, and the economy crashed, the, the place went bankrupt in eight months, so the building sat empty for a couple of years. Um, we ended up going up to that building, and I was like, oh, we got to buy this, and the Holy Spirit said, not now, and I'm like, oh, Lord, if we miss it, we're going to, somebody else is going to buy this building, and this needs to be for the kingdom, and the Holy Spirit said, not now. I'm like, okay. So I'm mad. So um, two years later, the building still has not closed. And it's now we're ready to start talking about launching a, a campus up there. If I could fast forward and just tell you that um, uh, we were in a place because of the margin to uh, nobody could nobody could pay this city what they needed for this building. They spent about 40 million on it. They owed about 12 something million on it. We walked in with a check for 13 million and bought the building cash. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, we were able to remodel this building. Uh, we opened up, uh, we remodeled it. I had put another $3 million into remodeling it to make it so a church can meet in there. And uh, on the opening Sunday, um, it's paid off day one because of margin. 3,000 people show up in an area where we had 300 people. So God exponentially just went, but it all happened because there was margin. Now, let me remind you. Um, we're the church that couldn't afford the 300 chairs that we told you about at the beginning of the story. Mm -hmm. So if we can get to this place, Mm -hmm. anybody can get to this place. Mm -hmm. I mean, God, if we, if we will put the principles that we talked about today Mm -hmm. in practice, it'll take you to a place of freedom to be able to step up and obey God and, and do what God is calling you to do, to be that life giving church in your city and your community and beyond in Jesus name. Amen. All right. So questions. About anything or about what we didn't even say. Yes. Uh, JC. Changing campaign culture, and then you guys started from the inside out, which is leaders with Financial Peace University, just encouraging them to start getting more. How long did you guys like strategize that transition and that rollout, or was it just something that started happening suddenly? Okay. So the question, changing the culture was it just didn't happen instantly or whatever the first thing that happened was i had to have a revelation that we were not teaching on stewardship the biblical full message of stewardship uh we always talked about stewardship and giving when it was tied to a giving campaign or a building campaign or let's fulfill the vision right that's all that's the only time we talked about giving and so I realized we gotta we got to start teaching what the Bible says about giving. And so churches are doing a lot better with that now. And Robert Morris has helped a lot of people get free from, you know, hang-ups on that. So we just started teaching about it. So, again, we would teach for four weeks on it. And then it was never tied to an offering or an ask or a challenge. It was just 
It was just, here's what the Bible says. You guys wrestle. Here's what God says. You wrestle with God over it. And I put it back on them. So we did that for, for, it took that, we've been doing that now for eight, eight, nine years, pretty consistently. Mm -hmm. Um, Financial Peace University probably dropped about year number four. So I was Mm -hmm. teaching that and I'm like, wait a minute, they're so turned upside down. They can't tithe. Mm -hmm. I got to help them get turned right side up. And so that's when we brought in Financial Peace University and made the whole church go through it. We stopped everything. We stopped everything. Like the Beth Moore people were like, oh, you're killing Beth Moore. My favorite, no, I'm not killing Beth Moore. She'll be back in nine weeks. Calm down, you know. Back in the day, yeah. Back in, back in the Beth Moore. No, but we did. We stopped. We basically stopped everything. And so when we brought our staff through at first and we said, we, oh, you know. staff? Yeah. And then we and brought, our, then we brought our, we bring our dream team together. So 1,500, 2,000 people. We asked all of them to go through it. And then to lead it. And then they led tables when we mm-hmm. launched everybody through it. Mm-hmm. Is, that, is that where you came up with zero principles of margin? Also mm-hmm. through um, we, I don't know where we came up with that principle mm-hmm. of margin. It was probably preceding financial peace, but definitely the same. The same it reinforces yeah, it. reinforces yeah. it, yes. Yeah. Is that the momentum program? Is that what it was? Yes, the momentum program yep. through. Mm-hmm. Yes, so we brought the momentum in and invited mm-hmm. all the churches in our region to kind of go through this. But we were... We were dedicated to taking everybody through it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So I I taught a four week series, mm-hmm. and the and it was all leading up. And so I had a bunch of stories from Financial Peace University from what our staff they've been set free. People are already selling off homes. Mm-hmm. People giving cars to families. That, I mean, there was just this life giving. And so I was able to use all that in my sermon series mm-hmm. and whet everybody's appetite. And then what we did is we started groups that were going through Financial Peace University staggered them mm-hmm. so that late adopters could still get in. So it wasn't like it starts to stay too bad if you missed it. It's like it's starting all the time. And we do as a church, um, our strategies, we, are, we do have a group strategy that meets off site. We actually did like open up and we had on, it was mostly almost all on site, mainly because we wanted great leadership in the room. We wanted it to, you know, we wanted to make sure it had a great experience. But the cool thing was, well, I mean, this was like so, a, 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 something we did not anticipate was that so many people got to know each other through Financial Peace University that they actually stayed together as groups out when and launched out of that into groups. So there were so many yeah. like beautiful repercussions that we didn't. Even we saw anticipate. people sign up for this Financial Peace University. They had never, never gone in. My aunt and uncle had been at our church for ten years, fifteen years. Years. Never gone on anything, never signed up for any group. They were one of the first ones to sign up. We made our young adults do it. I thought, oh, the young adults are going to just, oh, they're not going to. Our young adult ministry grew yeah. during that season because they wanted biblical principles. And money, everybody thinks about money. They're worried about money. They ain't got enough money. How do I get more money? And so if you tell them, hey, we're going to help you figure this out. And in that nine-week period of 5,000 families that reported back, from, because at the beginning, you write down how much debt you have and how much money you have in the savings. And at the end, by just putting the principles in, nine weeks, how much debt you have and what you paid off, mm-hmm. um, they had paid off um, $15 million of their personal debt. Mm-hmm. Our people. Our people. Okay. So yeah, yeah, well, of the 5,000 yeah. that reported, so just half the group reported, just in the nine weeks, mm-hmm. they paid off $15 million of personal debt, credit cards, Cars, college, because they go like crazy after it. Mm-hmm. And they had put into their bank accounts, not ours, unfortunately, $12 million, $12 million of savings increase, right? That's a $27 million swing mm-hmm. in nine. Yeah. That will change people's life. And we still and we still offer financial peace, you know, ongoingly to the church. We also require our staff to go through it when they come on our team. Um, we, have, we have amazing pastors who 
make pastors' salaries, you know, and they're buying homes. I mean, it's just amazing to see them get rid of their college debt. I mean, they're posting things online about, you know, selling things, get rid of debt, and and to and when they get into their home for the first time, these mm-hmm. young couples that are just literally fresh out of college, a couple years down the road, they're buying homes because they've put into practice these principles. So, yeah. How do you find uh, just the, the difference, you know, how do you identify faith versus foolishness? Mm-hmm. Especially mm-hmm. on a young church that we launched last year. Yeah. So we're, I mean, we, we have a budget, but mm-hmm. it's more like, what do we spend this month? We're still figuring all out. We've to move half, you know, yeah, yeah. some of those things. And so how do we know, okay, this is faith to move forward here versus this is just foolishness? Do you guys have, like, percentages you put on We'll never spend this much. We always have this much in savings. Um, Wow, that's a good question. The question was, how do you know it's faith and not foolishness? And are there numbers and to help balance this out? Um, The answer to that would be, uh, I don't think we have percentages. Some churches do that where they were never going to take on this much more than what the annual. uh, At this stage in the game, we do keep financial reserves in place so that we could, if something happened and hurricanes came and blew down all of our churches, Mm -hmm. all of our camp, we could have church for how many months could we go maintaining ministry to the community with the bare minimum staff. We know what that number is and we have that money in cash and we're not touching it. So that money, uh, we, we figured that uh, that's, that's the same thing as the Dave Ramsey, uh, emergency plan, right? What's your emergency plan? Then what do you need to exist for six months? You get a thousand dollars in and then what do you need to exist for six months? That's what we do. So we have that set up and we don't touch that. As far as stepping out in faith to buy something or build something that we don't have, man, I'm in that right now because mm-hmm. I've got like eight things I want to buy. I'm like playing Monopoly. I'm like, I want to buy it, buy it. And I've got to go, Is it, well, I don't want to put the, the church in a dangerous place. Mm-hmm. So I'm pulling back using the principles I use, mm-hmm. God's word, what can I do from God's word, Holy Spirit, give me guidance and prayer, wisdom mm-hmm. from other pastors. And uh, so I'll call up some of the pastor guys here and go, hey, listen, here's what's going on. Got any wisdom for me? What would you say? So I'm listening to their input, the people around me that have to manage it. Um, and then from that, you know, I will step out. It doesn't, I don't want to be so safe either. Like, okay, we can do this. Yeah. So let's do this. I'm like, where's faith? Yeah. yeah faith better call you outside of your comfort zone. Faith better call you outside of what you, you know. Well, the books, we have 13 million, so let's buy it. You know, I want to buy it when we don't have the 13 million, but God says do it. How do we do it then? Yeah. And that's, that's that tension that Julie talked yeah. about, that if you manage that tension well, it actually increases your capacity mm-hmm. to discern God, to step out in faith, to, to know what to do. But it is, it's really all four of these things we talked mm-hmm. about yeah. woven together in relationship. Mm-hmm. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, right, right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yes. Oh, and a very small percentage of our church tithes, even though we talk about it and teach about it. I just did the math. I just, this is the common, this is the average income of our area per household, which you can do. You can figure that out. And you go, how many, how many households do we have that are involved? This should be our budget. It should be like four times what our, what our budget is right now. So people are bound up by their money. Yeah. They are bound up. And so we have, we have to, in, and, you know, Robert goes into the whole spirit of mammon that can get on money, that that's where we find satisfaction. That's where we find security, all the things that money is really supposed to be found in God. So I think our job is to constantly present the word of God to them, help them see what the word of God says. That's why Jesus, I think, spent so much time talking about money and possessions is because he knew our possessions could possess us. And so he wanted to break that stronghold. And I think that's why most churches struggle. I would say, too, on the the culture thing that we do every single week in our weekend services, our offering setup is a very intentional teaching. Across all of our campuses, we, you know, we have kind of a standard. It's not a 10-minute sermon before the offering. Yeah. But it's a very intentional three to three. Yeah, three minutes. Three minutes, yeah. To constantly be dripping the truth that they've heard from lessons into. So they don't have to wait for the next series. Yes, sir. Uh, Kingdom builders. Yeah. You can correct me if I'm wrong. You said that they're chosen based on the fact that they get above the ten. No, they self-select. Say that again. They self-select. Hey, if you want to become a part of Kingdom Builders, all we ask is that you give above the tithe. So we want to invite you. So we invited everybody to come. And so we didn't select them. They selected us. And they showed up. And then we cast vision for it. The very first time we cast vision for it, I invited. I went to the county people and I said, send out this letter of invitation to the Mm -hmm. top 200 givers in the church. And I just invite them in, cast vision for what Kingdom Builders was. I read out of that Romans 12 passage. This isn't favoritism. Everything you give is going to go to people, places, and partnerships. People, you're going to help us develop the next generation of leaders. You're going to help us develop people that we need to bring on the pipeline to get to places that's obvious buildings and new launches and then partnerships partnerships that we want to have that expand the kingdom of god that maybe aren't in our budget this year like ark we want to give to ark we want to give them twenty thousand dollars kingdom builder is going to give to ark and give that money right so they like those three things people Mm -hmm. places and partnerships and they do our school of leadership and our southeastern university but yeah so that was the first time and then we opened it up for people during the giving yeah. series. So then giving series, I talked about Kingdom Builders. Mm-hmm. I said the reason we could spend $13 million on that building, let me tell you why. First, we spend less than what comes in. Oh, what a novel idea. You ought to try it sometime. You know, so I had fun with that. And then I go, secondly, we've, uh, we've had people that have, uh, have left uh, to, in their will and estate, they have left money to Christ Fellowship. And I want you to know that every time somebody does that, whether it's the widow's little bit or the millionaire's little bit, we invest that into. And so what I was doing by doing that was casting vision. I'm like, I want to I plant that seed in your heart that maybe you would go, we ought to, we ought to put them in our will and estate. And then I cast vision for kingdom builders and invited people to, to get on the journey. Mm-hmm. Are we out of time? Right okay, okay. we're out of time. We'll stay here if you have any other questions. And we're going to put um, my assistant's name up on the board. So if you guys have any questions or you want any of these resources. They're all over or, here. You can grab them. Yeah, yeah. All and you can just there. take our name off of it. Put your Photoshop your face on there. <laughs> <laughs> <Nah>. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We love you guys. Thanks you for can, being though, here. You can, though, if you want to. <laughs>